0: your uh, tickets for tonight's uh, uh, fellowship Thanksgiving Fellowship. I hope you'll, you'll make sure you're there because you'll, you'll hear from a few more people who will spend a couple of more minutes explaining how God has used First Baptist Church in, in their life. And of course, that's just a small sampling of, of God's work and ministry because this is a church who's been here for 175 plus one, 176 years of ministry. A lot of things have changed. Uh, uh, a lot of different pastors have stood behind this this pulpit. Right now, you're at the best looking one, but that's not too much uh, uh, to brag about. If you've looked at the others, that's not really saying a whole lot. Uh, but uh, thank you, appreciate that Barnabas. Uh, But there have been many different people who have sat in the pews where you are sitting and in buildings before this one, and there are a lot of things that have changed. A lot of presidents have come and gone. A lot of of tax reforms have come and gone. A lot of educational Uh, aspects in our county and community have come and gone. So many things have changed. The, The reason, make no mistake about it, the reason that First Baptist Milton is still here 176 years later is simply because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, you know, they, they, they say Vince Lombardi, and I didn't vet this out with Snopes or anything, but they, they say that Vince Lombardi, every football season, would, would go into the locker room with that group of professionals and he would start his lecture by telling them, This is a football. He would get them back to the very basics of what they were supposed to do during their season. And and today, I simply want to do that. I want to take us back to the very basics. We exist as a church to simply do three things, to declare the gospel, to develop believers, and to deploy disciples into the world. Now, over the past 176 years, that purpose has been framed in different language. There's been different words used for it, but it's all been the same singular purpose of our lives and the lives of our church. So I invite you this morning to turn with me to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at several places in that book. We're going to end up landing in chapter 15 as we think through this very simple idea of declaring and developing and deploying, as we think about the purpose, not just of our church, but the purpose of our lives, for that is very simply what any church is. It's nothing more than a collection of the people who are involved with it, who have Jesus as their Lord and Savior and who seek to honor him with their lives. Now, when Paul writes this letter to this church, he's writing it to a church that has some major problems. This is a church that was divided in many, many ways. In fact, if I ever start to think that I'm having some difficult people and, and moments in pastoring, I can read 1 Corinthians and Randy, I feel a lot better about my church when I read 1 Corinthians because, man, they had so many problems taking place in their church. They were divided over ethnicity. They had Jews versus Gentiles. They were divided over social status. They they had some in their church who were known as wise and some who were known as foolish. They had some who were labeled as powerful and some who were labeled as weak. They had some in a category of being of noble birth and others who were considered to be lowly and despised. Immorality was being fully embraced in this church. Incest was being tolerated and sexual sin and perversion was being excused. This was one of the most lawsuit-happy churches we have a record of, certainly in Scripture and also historically, where they would constantly, the members of the church were constantly suing each other over and over and over again. In their church, there existed dysfunctional families, doctrinal confusion, ethnic strife, and Political tension, does that sound familiar? <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. For Paul in First Corinthians, there was only one solution, and that solution was the gospel. Look at what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just the the second chapter of that book. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, as he's explaining his posture before this church, he says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Except the gospel, the solution for their situation was the gospel, the solution solution for all of these problems what's the gospel the solution has always been the gospel the solution will always be the gospel So if that's the solution, we need to to understand what that gospel is. We need to make sure what we mean when we say the gospel. You see, the gospel is simply the good news that because you and I are condemned in our sin, Christ came to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The the gospel is... Is the message of Jesus living a perfect life and dying in our place so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The gospel is about a man who lived the life we could not live and died the death we were condemned to die. The gospel can be summarized in four simple words, Jesus in my place that is the gospel Jesus dying in my place Jesus suffering for sin in my place Jesus taking upon himself the wrath of God in my place Jesus being betrayed in my place everything he experienced in my place that is the gospel that Paul hinges his life upon that is the gospel That gives us the unction to go, to declare, to develop, and to deploy disciples. That's the gospel that has kept this church functional for 176 years. And that is the only thing that will keep this church functional for another 176 years. I'm hoping Jesus comes back before then. Today would be all right with me. But if he tarries his coming, that's the only thing that will keep us moving forward forward to what God has called us to do. Look back over in, or look over at one chapter in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and verse 10 and verse 11, Paul said this, according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church family. There can be no other foundation in the church other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything else is built upon it, and anyone who builds on it should take care that what they build is consistent with it and is an outgrowth of it. You flip a few more chapters over, and you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I know some of you are thinking, my goodness, he's going one chapter at a time. We're going to be here till 2 (laughs) p.m. Take heart. It'll be at least 145. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll go from preaching to meddling, how about? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22-23, Paul says this, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul was willing to change anything about his life that was in the realm of scripture if it gained him a better hearing for the gospel. He was willing to lay aside his preferences. He was willing to lay aside his culture. He was willing to lay aside his politics. He was willing to lay aside his opinions. He was willing to lay aside anything if it meant he would be able to reach more people with the gospel because for Paul, and it should be for us, the gospel is everything. Paul would not care about the color of a carpet if it meant that more people could come to Jesus. Paul would not tweet a tweet if he knew that tweet would keep someone from Jesus because I'm sure they had Twitter back then. (laughs) Paul would think twice about spouting forth what he thought about whatever CNN and Fox, and I say those in alphabetical order so you don't think I'm prioritizing he would not care what they say as long as it got people to know who Jesus is. The gospel is everything for Paul. In fact, let's get to the meat of our message over in chapter 15. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, where he ends this letter almost, he has one chapter after it, but he's getting to the, to the conclusion Crescendo of his message. And look at what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, that's an important phrase. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? The gospel. Here's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, not both Cephas, just Cephas, then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though most have fallen asleep. Some of you should underline that part of the verse, because that fallen asleep part Part applies to you. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared, appeared also to me. Would you turn your attention back to verse 3, where Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance, as of first importance importance. That phrase, first importance, that implies that there were other things that were important to Paul, but those other things were not of first importance. First importance means that the message of the gospel is in a class all by itself. So what does it look like And I want us to hone in on that first importance phrase this morning. What does it look like to put into practice Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians 15? What does it look like when the gospel is of first importance in your life? What does it look like when the gospel is of first importance in a church's life? What does that look like? Three things this morning I want you to understand. One, when the gospel is of first importance, the gospel is declared. If the gospel is of first importance in your life, then the gospel will be declared. Did you notice the language Paul used in verses one and three? (laughs) how the gospel was of first importance, hence he said that he preached it. He delivered it to anyone who would listen. You can tell if the gospel has really impacted your life by how often you declare it. I thought I'd hear a pin drop at that. And so I want to say it again. You can tell if the gospel has really impacted your life by how often you declare it. And just so I can get caught up on emails this week, let me say this. You can tell if the gospel is of first importance in your life if you talk about it as much as you talk about vaccines, as much as you talk about mask mandates, as much as you talk about the statistics of your favorite sports team, as much as you talk about your budget and how well or not well you're doing, or as much as you talk about your honey hole fishing spot and the next upcoming deer season. I think I covered everyone in that one. <laughs> you can tell how important the gospel is by how often you declare it. Why was Paul? concerned with declaring the gospel? Why should you be concerned about declaring the gospel? Why should our declaration of the gospel take precedent over every petty preference in the church? Here's why. This gospel is the only message by which we can be saved. Someone must hear the gospel. Someone must believe the gospel, someone must repent of their sins, someone must accept Jesus' offer to save them. If they are going to be saved, how can they do that unless you declare it to them? How can that happen? It can not. You see, we oftentimes want to think, well, well we're being benevolent. We 're being nice, and that 's good we need I like nice people. I like benevolent people I try to be nice i try to be benevolent myself. But as a follower of Jesus and as a church of Jesus, it does not matter how much good we do in our community or our world if we don't declare the gospel while we're doing those good things. Because apart from the gospel, apart from the gospel, people are hopelessly lost whatever earthly things we engage in no matter how good they are they will not last apart from cross from christ what eternal value is there in giving someone food if you never offer them access to the bread of life jesus christ what difference will it make in eternity if we give someone a cold cup of water but we fail to share with them the offer extended by the living water, Jesus Christ. What good does it do us to stand for morality if we don't point to the one who sets the standard for such morality? What will pursuing social justice accomplish if we don't declare the one who desires it, Jesus Christ? Can we really say that we love our neighbor in our actions if we don't share with them the greatest news of all. You see, declaring this gospel is the one thing given exclusively to the church. Organizations can work for poverty relief, and we should support that. Other organizations can work for marriage enrichment, and we should support that. Other organizations can help churches take a stand in morality or social change. But the gospel, hear me, and hear my heart. The gospel has not been given to Campus Crusade for Christ. The gospel has not been given to the International Mission Board or the Southern Baptist Convention. The gospel, as wonderful as the Gideon's work is, the gospel has not been given to the Gideons to say, you go as Gideons to do this. The gospel is given to the church, exclusively given to the church. And if we don't take it, how else is it going to get out there? When it's of first importance, the gospel is declared. And the fact that the gospel has been entrusted to us means that anything and everything else must take a back seat to our declaration of the gospel. That's why next year, as we go into year 177, I dare try to plan for anything after the last two. But that's why as we go into... The next year, you know, our church, we 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 have a DNA. We we have a set of values that that dictate our ministry, and and you'll see on the screen in just a second there's the, the DNA of FEC and that's why next year you're going to see us reemphasize two aspects of that DNA serving our community and sharing the gospel as we put much emphasis on serving our community, being a light and salt and light in our community, but we don't do it just for the sake of social justice, or the social gospel. We do it for the sake of this gospel of Jesus. We do it not just to be benevolent, but we do it because we want to share the gospel with other people. When the gospel is of first importance, the gospel is declared. Second thing I want you to notice is this. When the gospel is of first importance, believers are developed. Why is our purpose at First Baptist Church Milton to declare, develop, and deploy? Because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Because of what Jesus says, the Great Commission. When this gospel is of first importance, believers are developed. The purpose of the gospel is not just to get us to heaven, but also to develop us into disciples who follow Jesus daily. Look at the language that Paul used in verse 2 of chapter 15. He talked about how we are being saved. Okay, That's present, that's active, that's, that's ongoing. We have been saved, but he also says we are being saved. Theologians call that progressive salvation. The word that that as a Baptist I'm a little bit more used to hearing in talking about this is sanctification. It's not just that you were saved by believing the gospel, but you are being saved by the gospel in an active, a present sense. Your, your, your salvation is multidimensional. <coughs> in one sense, you have experienced this, this positional salvation. You accept Christ, and, and in that instance, your sins are forgiven you're given the righteousness of Christ. You're, you're, per, you're permanently adopted into God's family. That's positional salvation, but that's not the only aspect of salvation that Paul has in mind. When Paul uses that phrase, are being saved, he's referring to that sanctification, that, that progressive salvation, your growth, your maturity into Christ likeness for the rest of your life. Listen, I want you to hear this statement this morning. God's goal is not just to get you into heaven when you leave this earth. God also wants to get heaven into you while you live on this earth. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. God's goal is not just to get us to heaven. God's goal is to get heaven into us. And how does that happen? Your maturity, your sanctification, your development as a believer, it comes from the same source as your salvation by believing the gospel. That's why he says in verse 2, to hold fast to it. Paul will write another letter to the Corinthians this first letter is called 1 Corinthians. I'll give you one guess as to what his other letter is called. 2 <laughs> Corinthians, right. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And we all beholding the glory of the Lord, that, that glory in the person of Jesus found in the gospel, and we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, that image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. How do we grow in our love for God? By holding fast to this glorious gospel of Christ. How do we grow in obedience? By holding fast to this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we grow in patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. Two ways. One, try stopping at the light at Stewart and uh, Caroline Street. But the more biblical way is holding fast to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning, friend. When we open this book, we are not reading stories of heroes that we should emulate. We're not reading a list of rules to obey. We're not even looking at a self-help guide to help us be better parents or spouses or to learn the secret of happiness. When we open the Bible, we are reading the gospel story about a Savior in whom we can hope. We don't read it primarily about what we can do for God, but we read about what God has done for us. We read about a Savior who came to rescue us because we had broken all the rules. We had rejected all the advice. We were so messed up that we couldn't put it all back together again. So he did it for us. When we read the Gospels, that's what we are reading. And when we hold fast to the Gospel, when we make it of first importance, God develops us from believers into disciples who follow Jesus every day. And then number three. When the gospel is of first importance, disciples are deployed. Paul spent his life in a gospel-driven deployment to declare the good news of the gospel so that sinners could be saved and developed into disciples themselves. And the only reason he would invest his life in that deployment is because in his life, the gospel was of first importance. Those stories that you heard, those six people who who had some connection to First Baptist Church and now they're in different places and they're engaged in ministry and mission at various churches in various contexts, Those are all people who God deployed from this place because when he did that in their lives, the gospel was of first importance. You see, when the gospel is of first importance in your life, you will view that life as a deployment for the glory of God to declare the good news of the gospel and to develop disciples. But hear me well this morning your deployment may or may not take you to the other side of the world. But at the very least, I can guarantee you that your deployment will take you to the other side of the street. God may not call you to go to the other side of the world, but God is calling you to go across the street, to go across the cubicle. To go across the school campus, to cross the classroom, or the coffee break table, you've been deployed for such a time as this. One of Jesus' right-hand men, Peter, would write this in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. He said, always be prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And in 2 Corinthians 5, I don't have time to develop the idea this morning, but in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we've been given a message of reconciliation. We've been given a, a ministry of reconciliation that just as God was reconciling the world himself through Jesus, we are to preach that message of reconciliation. But but I love this one. How many of you, let's just, before I get to it, let me just ask you this way. (coughs) I got another hour before I make up for the last two weeks, we're good to go. If you had the chance, if Jesus were to pray, And you had the chance to answer his prayer. We're used to Jesus answering our prayers, right? I mean, we we pray and Jesus answered. What would you think if that was reversed? What would you think if you were able to answer Jesus' prayer? Wouldn't that be a fairly unique thing to do? Am I alone in here? Come on, talk to me. You think I'm playing? I've got a lot more I can say, and I've got keys to the doors that can lock them. <laughs> Jesus, the verse is on your screen. Luke chapter ten. Jesus looks out at the harvest, and he says, "The harvest is plentiful." It's the laborers who are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus was praying that we would pray, and his prayer was that God would send forth laborers into the harvest. Jesus' prayer is that God will deploy people into the harvest. And now here we are. We have the ability to answer that prayer. We have the ability to be the answer Answer to that prayer. We have the opportunity to be deployed by Jesus into that harvest that He so desperately wants to see come to faith in Christ. But he tells us we have to pray for that. And maybe that's our problem. Maybe the reason we don't see a move of God in our lives, and maybe the reason we don't see a move of God in our churches, and maybe the reason that 75-80% of our Southern Baptist churches are plateaued or cloudy. Maybe the reason that True, it's because we don't have the power of God, because we don't pray for the power of God. Amen. Part of my absence the last couple of weeks was attending our Florida State Convention. Before we close today, you'll you'll hear from a couple of those guys as well who just want to extend their congratulations. But our executive director, Tom, Dr. Tommy Green, Challenged all of us there and asked us to come back and challenge our churches and I'm going to challenge you as well you're going to see up on the screen in just a second right there that we as Florida Baptists unite in prayer so uh, and, and I'll email this star to, to, to our membership database this week and, and I'll remind you of this but if you'll go to flbaptist.org slash pray, Dr. Green has asked us as church leaders, and now we church leaders are asking you as church members to, to participate in this, to to set aside one day a week, you pick the day, and you set aside that time, and, and that's going to be a day in which you fast. I know that's a cuss word in the Baptist church, but... but You pick a day in which you fast and you pray and you ask God for a mighty movement. You ask God to come through here because if it's not for God, we're not here in 176 years. In fact, if God withdraws his hand in presence, we're not here next week. It's the power of God that falls from heaven on the people of God and the church of God. So I encourage you to answer Jesus' prayer and, and to join me. I've already signed up for it. And, and to join me and to join thousands of others across the state, so the matters across the state, as we devote ourselves to prayer. You see, God has put you around someone in the harvest. I don't believe God does anything by a mistake. I believe that you live where you live for a purpose. I believe that God causes you to interact with people you interact with for a purpose. I even believe that when you go to, to Walmart, when you go to Walmart to have your sanctification tested, I believe that God puts people in your path on purpose for that day. You have been deployed. As a church, we want to come alongside you and help you live out that deployment. In fact, the next screen, it tells you that how, how we're going to relaunch Who's Your One next year, and, and we're going to come alongside you and ask you to identify that one and invest in their life and invite them to hear the gospel and and we want you to to get re-engaged in that but you have to make the choice to make the gospel of first importance in your life for you see today you stand in one of two positions you stand separated from god because of sin or you're in relationship with God because of salvation through Jesus Christ, may I speak for just a couple of minutes and I'm done. But if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as, as your Lord and Savior, would you really listen in to what I'm about to say? If you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. John 3, 3, you must be born again. There must be a time when you have acknowledged your sin, where you have cast yourself on the mercy of God, where you have embraced this gospel that Jesus declares. So my question to all of you this morning is, have you been born again? Has this glorious gospel taken root in your heart? If you have been born again, may I ask you simply, is the gospel of first importance in your life? Don't give me a Sunday school answer. You know in your heart if the gospel is of first importance or not. The gospel cannot have first importance at First Baptist Church Milton if it does not have first importance in the people who make up First Baptist Milton. Are you willing to put the gospel ahead of your preferences? Are you willing to do whatever it takes... To declare this gospel? Are you willing to submit yourself to the process of discipleship where you go from being a fan? It's good to be a fan of Jesus, but he didn't come here for fans. He came here for followers. Are you willing to leave fandom and become a follower of Jesus? Are you willing to be an answer to Jesus's prayer for workers to be deployed into the harvest? I'm going to ask you this morning simply right where you are to bow your head. And in just a second, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing, and this is what we call a time of commitment. It's a time in which we want to give you the opportunity to do business with God. If you're here this morning and this gospel that is to be of first importance, is something you've never experienced and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I would love to introduce you to that man today. I can't do nothing to save you because I don't have to. Jesus did it all. If you're here today and you've made that decision, could it be that the Holy Spirit brought you here today to remind you, to teach you, to show you how the gospel is to be of first importance. Oh, there are important things in our lives and we don't negate any of that and we want to embrace all those important things, but we don't want to do that at the neglect of what is of first importance. Maybe your step this morning is to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Maybe your step today is to recommit yourself to making the gospel of first importance. Maybe you've been occupying a pew in this facility for three, six, nine months a year, whatever. And God is calling you to do more than occupy a pew today. And you need to seek his wisdom and his guidance and how you can serve him i do not know what god's called you to do and the only thing i will ever only ask you to do is to put your yes on the table this altar will be open for your prayers your staff and deacons will be offered will be here to offer counsel whatever you desire to do today and you need to do today would you do it after i pray and then as we sing our time of commitment Father God there are so many things that can claim our attention our eyes can be focused in so many directions but today my prayer is first and foremost that my eyes would turn toward Jesus that I would stop looking at the things of this world because when I look at those things of the world, when I don't look at you, those things of this world, they grab my attention. That attitude in this world that tells me that I'm the most important, that I need to look out for me before anybody else, that I should have my needs met before anyone else. This world grabs my attention with its attitudes and philosophies until I turn my eyes upon you and then those things grow strangely dim so today Father in this moment would you help us to just see you and as we see you and as we feel your Holy Spirit move in our hearts May we simply say yes to whatever you're calling us to do today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.